0: Coming up next, Tube Tunes in Color.
1: The following program is brought
2: to you in Living Color on NBC. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. (laughs)
1: City in Hollywood.
2: Can you a What's the time in the project?
1: Speaking, what time is it?
2: Let me get this straight. You want me to steal? And here he is, the one, the only... One out of 12, one out of
0: 12. Possible four, five, nine suspects there now. Hello. I'm Mr.
2: Red. This is Jim Rockford at the town. Leave your
1: uh, name. I'll get back. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Mystery Science Theater 3000, show 424, real one. Oh, come on, son. All
3: I need is a ride. What could possibly happen? Justin Video and his video rangers.
0: Welcome to Tube Tunes. Many of us grew up watching afternoon reruns on television. As kids, we'd come home from school, plop our school books onto the floor, and run to the living room or den to switch on the Zenith or the Silvertone or the Big Curtis Mathis, and we'd sit and watch our favorite reruns for hours. Now, as a child growing up in the late 1960s and early 1970s, the reruns I watched consisted primarily of former nighttime situation comedies of the mid 1960s, mostly with supernatural or fantastical plot lines. Strangely enough, my favorite reruns were of wacky comedies that originally aired in a surprisingly short window in television history, although I didn't know it at the time. In later years, as I learned more about the history of television, I discovered that a happy confluence of craziness occurred in late 1965, exactly 50 years ago this month, when 11 of my favorite series were running new episodes on primetime network television at the same time. And these 11 shows were some of the kookiest, most out-of-this-world comedies ever shown on American television, which is probably the main reason I liked them so much as a kid. It's also probably why they are still remembered and enjoyed today, 50 years later. And, of course, the theme music for these shows is no different. They're memorable, easily identifiable, and most everyone would be able to hum or sing along with them at a moment's notice. So join me now in taking a look at five of these 11 shows we'll look at the castaways, witches, ghouls, POWs, and ghosts that have kept us laughing for the last half century. And I'll take you through the nutty shows themselves, their stars, their histories, and as always, their themes and theme composers. In this episode I call A Wacky Week in 1965, Part 2. I've got a fully packed program of TV themes and TV trivia ahead, so let's get cracking. I am Mark, and this is Tube Tunes. I have in my hand the TV Guide for December 11th through the 17th, 1965. On the cover is a great color photo of the cast of F Troop, one of the 11 kooky sitcoms I covered in episode 2. Be sure to check that episode out. Let's look through the TV Guide and see what's playing 50 years ago. It's Thursday, December 16th, 1965. It's 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and The Munsters has just finished running on CBS. Next up is a new episode in color of Gilligan's Island. TV Guide for this episode says, The skipper thinks Gilligan has been bitten by a deadly insect, giving him only 24 hours to live. How sad. Gilligan's Island was a situation comedy created by Sherwood Schwartz, and it was often derided as the most mindless of all 1960s sitcoms. It premiered on CBS on September 26, 1964, and ended its network run on September 4, 1967. A total of 96 30-minute episodes were produced, 36 of them in black and white and 62 in color. The show tied with the Munsters for 18th Place its first season, ranked 22nd its second season, and it dropped out of the top 30 its third and final season. The show, as it was related in the opening theme lyrics, followed the adventures of seven stranded castaways after a boating excursion left Honolulu for a three-hour tour
1: a 3 hour tour
0: They land on an island and set up home and hearth using whatever the island can provide most often in the shape of bamboo and coconuts comedy is derived from the castaways constant and always unsuccessful efforts to get off the island and to get back home often enlisting the aid of passersby who land on the island by accident The castaways include Gilligan, no last name was ever provided, a childlike but big-hearted adult and first mate on the USS Minnow, the excursion boat that beached on the island. Jonas Grumby, or the skipper as he was called, was Gilligan's captain and mentor in a Laurel and Hardy vein. Thurston Howell III was a millionaire touring on the boat with his wife, socialite Lovey Howell. Ginger Grant was a chorus girl in Honolulu and was also touring, inexplicably still wearing the elegant gown from her singing and dancing act. Roy Hinckley, or the professor as he was called, was a well-known scientific genius and scoutmaster. And Mary Ann Summers was the girl-next-door type from Kansas. Gilligan was portrayed by rubber-faced comic actor Bob Denver. He was best known prior to this series for playing Maynard G. Krebs, the work-averse layabout from the 1959-63 sitcom The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis.
3: Once a gal, go be. Once a gal the call is on
0: After Gilligan ended in 1967, he went on to play Rufus Butterworth in the 1968-70 sitcom The Good Guys.
1: I'm a good guy, hey, you're another one too. Like a brother, each to the other one. True, blue. There's trouble, we're a double Sticking out a double-type chin But when our ship comes in Then we're gonna be fat, not thin Even if it's just by the teeth of our skin When you think of those heroes Who things are sad about Good guys you might have read about
3: Very few had a magic touch like I And I got as much faith in you
0: and he also played Dusty in the 1973-74 sitcom Dusty's Trail with Forrest Tucker.
2: Let's follow the path of Dusty's Trail, oh Dusty's Trail, Dusty's Trail. A stage and a wagon are heading west, part of a wagon train lost from the rest.
0: Andy played junior. in the Saturday morning sitcom Far Out Space Nuts. He made many guest appearances throughout the 1970s and 1980s. Among his last TV credits were as Gilligan in both an episode of Alf in 1987 and in a 1997 episode of the short-lived sitcom Mego. He died in 2005 at the age of 70. The skipper was played by Alan Hale Jr. Hale was the son of movie actor Alan Hale Sr. His long movie career, where he was often cast in supporting roles, had ended by the time Gilligan's Island came around. Like Bob Denver, his appearances were of the guest spot variety on many shows during the 1970s and 80s, and he also appeared as the skipper on a 1987 episode of the sitcom Alf. He died in 1990 at age 68. Jim Backus played Thurston Howell III. Besides this role, Backus is best remembered as the voice of Mr. Magoo in both theatrical and TV cartoon shorts, during the 1950s and 60s. His long TV career included regular roles in I Mary Joan from 52 to 55. I Mary Joan. The Jim Backus Show from 1960 to 61, and as Mr. Dithers in the 1968-69 sitcom remake Blondie with the aforementioned Barbara Britton. He is also remembered for his dramatic portrayal of James Dean's anguished father in the 1955 classic movie Rebel Without a Cause. He died in 1989 at the age of 76. At over 12 years Jim Backus's senior, Natalie Schaefer portrayed Thurston Howell's wife, Lovey, She had guest shots on many of the early dramatic anthologies on TV of the 1950s. After Gilligan's Island ended, her last regular TV role was as Helen Collins from 1971 to 72 in the long-running daytime soap opera Search for Tomorrow. She died in 1991 at the age of 90. Tina Louise played the sultry Ginger Grant. Louise was born February 11, 1934, and is still with us today at age 81 as one of only two surviving castaways. She had several solo appearances throughout the 1950s and 1960s on both TV and in movies, and she won a Golden Globe in 1959 as most promising female newcomer after her role in the 1958 movie God's Little Acre. After Gilligan's Island, she was typecast, as was most of that show's cast, and she found it hard to get serious roles. She did not appear in any of the three Gilligan's Island TV movie sequels of the 1970s or in the Gilligan cartoon incarnations of the 1970s and 80s for this very reason. Later in life, however, she grew to embrace the role of Ginger as it helped her with her charity work with children who loved the show. She is still acting today. Russell Johnson played the professor. His straight portrayal of the character epitomizes his earlier roles as a more dramatic actor than a comedic one. Prior to Gilligan, Johnson had a regular role as Marshall Gibb Scott in the 1959-60 Western drama Black Saddle, and he was also well-known for his supporting role as Dr. Carlson in the classic 1955 sci-fi movie This Island Earth. After Gilligan, he made several guest appearances on television, and his last TV appearance was on the short-lived 1997 sitcom Mego, also with Bob Denver and Alan Hale Jr., where he played the professor, a character he also played in a 1987 episode of the sitcom ALF. He died less than two years ago in 2014 at the age of 89. Dawn Wells appeared as the wholesome Mary Ann Summers and is the only surviving Gilligan castaway besides Tina Louise. Wells was born October 18, 1938, and is still with us today at the age of 77. Prior to Gilligan, she made guest appearances on many series, and after Gilligan, she continued to do so, even up to the present. She appeared in both the aforementioned ALF episode in 1987 and the Migo episode in 1997 as Marianne Summers. Gilligan's Island ran in syndicated reruns for many years after its original network run, with fans wondering if and how the castaways would ever get off the island should the series return. In 1978, a new made-for-TV sequel movie was made, Rescue from Gilligan's Island, in which, a decade later, the castaways were in fact rescued. The movie proved very popular, and talk of a regular series revival began in earnest, but the show never materialized. Instead, two more made-for-TV movie sequels were made. The Castaways on Gilligan's Island in 1979, where the Castaways moved back to the original island to help Mr. Howell open a resort, and The Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island in 1980, the most far-fetched of the sequels. The entire cast portrayed their original roles in all three movies except for Tina Louise as Ginger, she was replaced by Judith Baldwin for the first two movies and by Constance Forslund in the final one. Additionally, two Saturday morning animated series based on Gilligan's Island were made, The New Adventures of Gilligan from 1974 to 77, with five of the original cast voicing their respective characters, Jane Webb provided the voice for Ginger and Jane Edwards voiced Marianne. and Gilligan's Planet, from 1982 to 83 with six original cast members providing voices for their characters and with Don Wells stepping in to provide the voice for Ginger. The theme to Gilligan's Island, probably known to everyone on the planet, was entitled The Ballad of Gilligan's Isle and was composed by George Weil, the musical director for the long-running variety series The Andy Williams Show. The lyrics were written by the creator-producer of the show, Sherwood Schwartz. Wild was born March 22, 1916, and he died May 2, 2003, at the age of 87. This tomb was by far his best-known work. Schwartz, born November 14, 1916, and died July 12, 2011, at the age of 94, was also known for writing theme lyrics to both It's About Time, a sitcom in 1966,
1: It's about time, it's about space, about two men in the strangest place. It's about time, it's about flight, traveling faster than the speed of light. Here is their tale of the brave
0: crew,
3: As through the barrier of time they flew.
0: And to the Brady Bunch in
2: 1969. Here's the story of a lovely lady
0: here are the opening and closing themes for the first season of Gilligan's Island, the Black and White episodes. The Ballad of Gilligan's Isle, composed by George Weill, with lyrics by Sherwood Schwartz and performed by the Wellingtons.
2: Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship The mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour The weather started getting rough The tiny ship was tossed If not for the courage of the fearless crew The middle would be lost The middle would be lost The ship's aground on the shore Of this uncharted desert isle With Gilligan, the skipper too The millionaire and his wife The movie star and the rest
3: are here on Gilligan's
2: Oil! Now this is a tale of our castaways, they're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things, it's an uphill climb. The first mate and his skipper, too, will do their very best to make the others comfortable in the Tropic Island nest. No phones, no lights, no motor cars, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Crusoe, it's primitive as can be. So join us here each week, my friends, you're sure to get a smile for seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan's Isle.
0: Now we'll listen to the opening and closing theme tunes with revamped versions of the original song, this time including credits for The Professor and Mary Ann. Russell Johnson and Don Wells demanded and received credit in the opening titles. These versions, performed by the Eligibles, were used for the second and third seasons of Gilligan's Island, the color episodes.
1: Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip That started from this tropic port aboard this tiny ship the mate was a mighty sailing man, the skipper brave and sure. Five passengers set sail that day for a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour. <laughs> the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless crew, the minnow would be lost, the minnow would be lost. The ships aground on the shore of this uncharted desert isle, with Gilligan, the skipper too, the millionaire and his wife, the movie star, the professor and Mary Ann, here on Gilligan. Thank you. This is the tale of our castaways, they're here for a long, long time. They'll have to make the best of things, it's an uphill climb. The first mate and his skipper too will do their very best to make the others comfortable in their Arctic Island nest. No phone. No light. No motor cars, not a single luxury. Like Robinson Caruso, it's primitive as can be. So join us here each week, my friends. You're sure to get a smile from seven stranded castaways here on Gilligan Time.
0: It's Thursday, December 16th, 1965, and later in the evening at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, ABC is running their hit sitcom Bewitched. The TV Guide listing for the episode that night? And Dora gives Darren a truth statue, which forces anyone near it to be completely honest. And of course that means that hilarity will ensue. Bewitched was a big hit for ABC when it premiered on September 17, 1964, so much so that the show lasted for eight years, ending on July 1st, 1972. There were 252 30-minute episodes made, 72 of them in black and white, and the other 180 in color. The show was ABC's biggest hit in its history up to that point, ranking in 2nd place in its debut season, then ranking in a tie for 7th place its 2nd and 3rd seasons, 11th place for its 4th season, tying for 11th place in its 5th season, and tying for 24th place in its 6th season, then dropping out of the top 30 for its final two seasons. This silly but smartly made sitcom followed the life of Samantha Stevens, a pretty young bride who confesses to her new husband, Darren, on their wedding night that she is in fact a witch. Her powers include the ability to transport herself anywhere instantly, to levitate items, to transform items and people, and to cast any number of spells on people or even on her extended family, all while trying to raise a family in suburban Salem, Massachusetts. The comedy is derived from Samantha's constant efforts to avoid using her powers. Darren insisted that they live as a normal family, while still dealing with the many witch and warlock relatives that pop in and out of their house. Most notably, of all, her shrewish mother, Endora, who has a particular dislike for Darren, or Durwood as she called him derisively. Samantha Stevens was expertly played by Elizabeth Montgomery, daughter of actor George Montgomery. Elizabeth became a star in this role, which netted her five Emmy nominations and four Golden Globe nominations. After Bewitched ended its long run, Montgomery became active in more serious roles in made-for-TV movies, most notably A Case of Rape in 1974 and The Legend of Lizzie Borden in 1975. Montgomery was married in real life to William Asher, the producer and director of Bewitched. She died in 1995 at the age of 62. Darren Stevens was played by two different actors during the show's run. The first actor... Dick York was a seasoned movie and TV veteran best known before Bewitched as Bertram T. Cates in the 1960 film Inherit the Wind. In 1969, York left the series because of an addiction to painkillers. He was taking them for chronic back pain from a 1959 railroad handcar injury on the set of They Came to Cordura. He retired from acting after leaving Bewitched, although he did make a few TV guest appearances in the early 1980s, and he died in 1992 at the age of 63. The second actor to play Darren was Dick Sargent. Sargent had done lots of TV before Bewitched, including a regular role as Dick Cooper in the short lived sitcom One Happy Family in 1961, and as Lieutenant Maxwell Trotter in the 1964 65 spin off series to McHale's Navy. Broadside. He continued working in TV after Bewitched, playing Richard Preston in the 1984-86 sitcom Down to Earth, along with many guest-starring roles in episodic TV. He died in 1994 at the age of 64. Samantha's mother, Endora, was played by decorated movie and stage actress Agnes Moorhead. Apart from her Broadway performances, which were many over her long career, Moorhead was best known for her versatile movie roles, including notably her portrayal as John Foster Kane's mother at the beginning of the classic film Citizen Kane, which was her first movie credit. She was nominated for an Oscar for her performance in The Magnificent Ambersons in 1942, another Orson Welles production, and she continued in strong movie parts throughout the 1950s and 60s, garnering three further Oscar nominations along the way. On TV, she appeared regularly in guest shots on several TV series, Her best-remembered TV role before Bewitched was as the exasperated woman trying to rid her shack of an invasion of small alien spacemen in the 1961 Twilight Zone episode, The Invaders. She died in 1974 at the age of 73, shortly after Bewitched left the air. Other cast members of Bewitched included Aaron Murphy, as the Stevens' young daughter, Tabitha, twins David and Greg Lawrence as the Stevens' young son, Adam, during the show's final season, distinguished British actor Maurice Evans as Samantha's estranged father, Maurice, David White as Darren's long suffering boss at McMahon and Tate Advertising, Larry Tate. Alice Pierce as the disbelieving nosy neighbor across the street, Gladys Kravitz. Pierce died in 1966 during the show's second season, and Sandra Gould was called in to replace Pierce as Gladys Kravitz from season three onward. George Tobias as Abner Kravitz, Gladys's husband, who always seemed to just miss seeing the supernatural things going on at the Stevens house witnessed by his frantic wife. Paul Lynde as the flamboyant and fun loving Uncle Arthur. Marion Lorne as the bumbling old Aunt Clara, Alice Ghostly as the timid and mousy Esmeralda, and British actor Bernard Fox as the family doctor, who's also a warlock, Dr. Bombay. The Lawrence twins at age 45, Aaron Murphy at age 51, and Bernard Fox at age 88 are the sole surviving regular cast members of Bewitched. Bewitched has reappeared in several incarnations over the years. In 1977, a short-lived spin-off series debuted Tabitha, with Lisa Hartman portraying the now-grown-up Tabitha Stevens, still with magical powers, as she works as a production assistant for a California TV station. And in 2005, a theatrical movie simply called Bewitched hit the big screen, with Nicole Kidman as a witch hired to play Samantha Stevens in a remake of the classic series. Kidman's resemblance to a young Elizabeth Montgomery in this film is remarkable. The familiar theme song to Bewitched was composed by Jack Keller, with never used lyrics by Howard Greenfield. Keller, born November 11, 1936, and died April 1st, 2005, at age 68, and Greenfield, born March 15, 1936, and died March 4th, 1986, at age 49, had scored several popular hits before Bewitched, with songs such as Frank Sinatra's When Somebody Loves You. When
2: Somebody Loves You, you feel it in your heart. When somebody loves you, you know it from the start.
0: And Connie Francis is breaking in a brand new broken heart.
3: I'm breaking a brand new broken heart.
0: Among many others, the songwriting team also wrote the themes for the show's Gidget.
2: Wait But stay away, Gidget is spoken for, you're gonna find that Gidget is
0: mine. Camp Run Amuck. <laughs> and The Wackiest Ship in the Army, all NBC one-season series that began in 1965. Keller, along with singer Bobby Sherman, wrote the aforementioned song Seattle in 1968 for its use as the theme to Sherman's western series Here Come the Brides. The theme tune to Bewitched was covered by many singers over the years, including Peggy Lee and Steve Lawrence. Now let's listen to the opening theme music to Bewitched that was used for the series' first two seasons, arranged by Warren Barker.
1: The Quaker Oats Company presents
2: regular liver, stew, artie new high too.
0: Now we'll hear the opening theme music to Bewitched in a new arrangement that was used for the show's final six seasons.
2: Hi, stay tuned for Bewitched. Next in Color. Oscar Meyer and Company presents Elizabeth Montgomery in
3: Bewitched.
2: Tonight's show is brought to you by Oscar Mayer, makers of wieners, cold cuts, bacon, and a whole lot of good things.
1: After these messages, we'll be right back. It's raisins that make it. Raisin brand so wonderful, it's raisins that
3: make. most raisin brands so different, it's raisins that make. Most raisin brands are raisin More raisins. Lots more raisins. More raisins than you have ever seen before. If you like raisins,
0: add juicy raisins, you like post raisin brand more. Post, the more raisin raisin brand. It's Friday, December 17th, 1965. It's 8:30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and a new episode of The Adams Family is about to begin on ABC. TV Guide for this episode says, "A friend of the Adams family arrives from Spain with his daughter, whom he expects Gomez to marry." Aha! A wedding episode, or is it? The Adams Family was a situation comedy, the first of two monster family sitcoms to premiere in 1964. The Munsters began on CBS six days later. The show premiered on September 18, 1964, and ended September 2, 1966, the day after The Munsters ended its run. The series, based on the macabre drawings of New Yorker cartoonist Charles Adams, hit 23rd in the ratings its first season, but failed to crack the top 30 in its second and final season. Only 64 black-and-white 30-minute episodes were produced. The show centered on the life of a family of ghoulish creatures as they spend their days in a rambling mansion in the most unconventional ways possible. The head of the family was Gomez Adams, a happy-go-lucky mustachioed entrepreneur who adores his wife Morticia Frump Adams, especially when she speaks French, and their two children, a dynamite-cap-loving boy named Pugsley Adams, and his sister, an inquisitive girl with a headless Marie Antoinette doll, Wednesday Adams. Rounding out the family are Uncle Fester, a ball-headed free spirit who wears a raccoon-skin coat and likes to turn on light bulbs inside of his mouth. Interestingly, it is never established on the series whether Fester is Gomez's brother or Morticia's brother. Grandmama, Gomez's mother who likes to cook up eye of Newt and other ghostly concoctions in the kitchen. And Cousin It, a short creature with flowing hair, a bowler hat, and black gloves, who speaks in incoherent squeaks but is easily understood by any of the clan. Also in the household are Lurch, their grumbling but obedient seven-foot butler, and Thing, a disembodied hand that acts as a hand-servant to the family, popping out of boxes to deliver the mail or to give a retreating, screaming guest their hat on their way out the front door. There are two pets, Kitty, actually a full-grown male lion who, though harmless, nevertheless never fails to send any guest shrieking out the door, and Cleopatra, Morticia's meatball-loving man-eating plant. Their house is filled with unusual and inexplicable bric-a-brac, such as a wall-mounted swordfish head with a human leg sticking out of it, a stuffed two-headed tortoise, a wall-mounted moose head with one antler pointing down, and a harpsichord on which Lurch serenades the family in the parlor on quiet evenings. Gomez Adams was played by gifted actor John Astin. Astin had earlier appeared with Marty Ingalls in the 1962-63 sitcom I'm Dickens, He's Fenster. (laughs)
1: Starring Marty Ingles, John Astin, with Emmeline Henry.
0: His portrayal as the devil-may-care Gomez, who always seems to look on the bright side of things and who is passionate about his wife and family, is probably the role most closely associated with him. After the Adams family ended, Aston continued to appear in movies and on TV for many years most notably as Lieutenant Commander Matthew Sherman in the first season of the 1977-79 sitcom Operation Petticoat. as Buddy Ryan, a recurring character in Night Chord from 84 to 1990. He also played Radford in the 1991-92 series Erie, Indiana. And as Professor Wickwire in The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. from 1993 to 94. <laughs> He also has provided many voice characterizations on Saturday morning cartoons, and he had a memorable role as the ghostly but comical judge in the 1996 movie The Frighteners with Michael J. Fox. As one of only three surviving cast members of the Adams family, he is still alive today at age 85. Carolyn Jones played the slim and softly spoken wife of Gomez, Morticia Frump Adams. Jones' resume includes a memorable role in the 1956 classic movie. Invasion of the Body Snatchers, though she appeared in many dramatic and comedy roles throughout the 1950s and 60s. After The Addams Family, she had a small role as Myrna Clegg in the daytime soap opera Capital in 1982, along with several guest-starring roles on episodic television. She died in 1983 at the age of only 53. Before The Addams Family, Jackie Coogan, who played the fun-loving Uncle Fester, was best known as a child actor during the silent movie days. His emotional performance in Charlie Chaplin's The Kid in 1921 made him a star, one of the highest-paid actors in Hollywood during the 1920s. His career took a downturn when he moved into adulthood. Later on, he married pin-up girl Betty Grable in 1937. He had bid parts in B-movies after serving the country in World War II, mostly as the heavy. Despite his early fame, the Adams Family is what most people remember about this gifted actor. His only other regular TV role was as Sergeant Barnes in the short-lived sitcom McKeever and the Colonel from 1962 to 63. He died in 1984 at the age of 69. Grandmama was played by character actress Marie Blake, or Blossom Rock, as she was credited. Best known for being the older sister of singer-actress Jeanette MacDonald. She had a brief career in movies during the 1930s and 40s, with a semi-regular role as Sally, the switchboard operator in the Dr. Kildare series of movies. She died in 1978 at the age of 82. Six-foot-nine-inch Ted Cassidy played the gloomy but faithful butler Lurch. His few lines, delivered in a deep bass voice, consisted primarily of you or a grumbling <sighs> Besides countless voice characterizations on Saturday morning cartoons, Cassidy's only other regular TV role was as Injun Joe in the 1968-69 kid series The New Adventures of Huck Finn. He also portrayed Thing, the disembodied hand in The Addams Family, in scenes that didn't require Lurch. Cassidy died in 1979 at the young age of 46. Ken Weatherwax played Pugsley, the Adams' only son. He was the nephew of Rudd Weatherwax, the official trainer of Lassie on TV. His only other screen credit was on an episode of Wagon Train in 1964. He died a year ago this month at the age of 59. Wednesday Adams was played with deadpan demeanor by Lisa Loring. Her film and TV credits are few, although she did make a few guest appearances on TV both before and after The Addams Family, notably in a 1981 episode of As the World Turns. She is one of only three surviving cast members from The Addams Family. Felix Silla, a little person at 3 foot 11 inches tall, appeared as cousin It in 17 of the Adams family's 64 episodes. He often played characters with a short stature, often in full costume, such as the polka dotted horse in the psychedelic kids show H.R. Puffin Stuff from 1969 to 70. Hey, so- Colonel Poom in another Sid and Marty Croft production, Lidsville in 1971.
3: And when he looked into the skies, he couldn't
2: believe his ears or eyes. Lidsville is the cook-a-cookiest. Lidsville is the kick kick kickiest Lidsville is the groov groupies, grooviest Lidsville is the living and friend. If you get a chance to go, go there, you'll be glad you did. Cause everybody who
1: goes to Lidsville really flips his lip. Oh, <laughs> how's that for a chopper? <laughs>
0: as Chuck in Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman in 1977, as Lucifer in the original Battlestar Galactica from 78 to 79... And also as tweaky in the nineteen seventy nine to eighty one series Buck Rogers in the Twenty Fifth Century. played an Ewok in the 1983 Star Wars movie, Return of the Jedi. He has been married for over 50 years and is still alive and working today at age 78. The Adams Family was reincarnated and reimagined several times over the years. The first one was a 1972 appearance on an episode of the animated New Scooby-Doo movies, with Aston, Jones, Coogan, and Cassidy voicing their respective roles. Hey, Scooby, Scooby
3: Scooby-Doo! For you.
0: Scooby,
3: Where All the
0: this one episode led to a Hanna-Barbera animated version of the show, which ran on NBC from 1973 to 75, and in which 37 episodes were produced but the cast featured only the voices of Cassidy as Lurch and Coogan as Uncle Fester from the original series. Interestingly, Jody Foster provided the voice of Pugsley in this version. In 1977, the entire original cast, except for Blossom Rock, Jane Rose replaced her as Grandmama, reunited for a 90-minute TV movie entitled Halloween with the Adams Family. In 1991, a theatrical movie was produced, The Addams Family, with Raul Julia as Gomez, Angelica Houston as Morticia and Christopher Lloyd as Uncle Fester, Gomez's brother in this version. It spawned a sequel movie in 1993, Adams Family Values, with essentially the same cast. Due to the popularity of the movie, another animated version of the Adams Family was produced for Saturday morning TV, running on ABC from 1992 to 95. 21 episodes were made and John Aston was the only original cast member to provide a voice, his signature role of Gomez. In 1998, a made-for-TV movie, Adams Family Reunion, was made with Tim Curry and Daryl Hannah in the lead roles. No original cast members were included in this version. Finally, from 1998 to 99, a new series called The New Adams Family ran on Fox Family Channel. Despite John Aston's appearance in this version in a recurring role as Grandpa Adams, the show was poorly received and lasted only one season. The theme music and lyrics for The Adams Family were written by jingle composer Vic Mizzy. Mizzy, born January 9, 1916, and died October 17, 2009, at the age of 93, was also known for his catchy theme music to Green Acres in
1: 1965. Green Acres is the place to be. Farm living is the life for me. Land spreading out so far and wide. Keep Manhattan, just give me that countryside.
0: The Pruitts of Southampton in 1966.
1: You do well. Hello, it's you. Love my dress, love my jewels. Are they Murphy food? They belong to the Internal Revenue, and they've got us eating stew. The Pruitts of Southampton live like the richest folk. But what the folk don't know is that. and I'm stuck, my dear. Ask the butler to lend you a buck, my dear. how to you do, how'd you do, how'd you do?
0: And the New Temperatures Rising show in 1974. <laughs> ¶¶ also composed music for several Don Knotts movies during the 1960s. Let's listen to the opening and closing themes used for the Addams Family throughout its two-year run, composed and conducted by Vic Mizzy. The opening theme includes the lyrics and a voiceover by Ted Cassidy, and the closing theme is an instrumental version of the opening theme. (laughs) ¶¶
2: They're all together, ookie, the Adams family. The house is a museum, when people come to see em, they really are a scream, the Adams family.
3: Neat, sweet,
1: petite. So get a witch's shawl on, a broomstick you can crawl on, we're gonna pay a call on, the Adams family. We'll
0: It's Friday night, September 17th, 1965, and opposite the Adams Family on ABC at 8.30pm Eastern Standard Time, CBS is running a new episode of their World War II comedy, Hogan's Heroes. Here's the TV Guide synopsis. Hogan learns that the Germans are planning to disband Stalag 13, move the prisoners, and use the camp for a synthetic fuel plant that will be safe from Allied bombers.
3: Very interesting
0: Most TV critics lambasted Hogan's Heroes before it had even aired a single episode, mostly because the thought of a comedy about a German POW camp during World War II seemed like too unfunny a premise for a sitcom, especially only 20 years after the war had ended. But Hogan's Heroes premiered on CBS on September 17, 1965, and became an immediate hit. It ran for six straight seasons before ending on July 4, 1971. 167 color 30-minute episodes, plus the black-and-white 30-minute pilot episode, were produced. The show shot to ninth place in its first season, tied for 17th place in its second season, but fell out of the top 30 from then on. The show, produced by singer Bing Crosby's production company, was loosely based on the 1953 hit movie Stalag 17 with William Holden. Episodes revolved around a tight-knit group of World War II prisoners of war as they attempt to aid the Allies from behind the walls of their encampment Stalag 13. The leader of the group is Colonel Robert Hogan, and he and his band of fellow prisoners were in complete control of the camp, unbeknownst to the dim-witted camp commander, Colonel Wilhelm Klink, and his lovable but equally inept sidekick, Sergeant Hans Schultz. Hogan's accomplices included Corporal Louis Lebeau, a Frenchman, Corporal Peter Newkirk, a Brit, Sergeant James Kinslow or Kinch as he was called, an African-American who was replaced by Sergeant Richard Baker for the show's final season, and Sergeant Andrew Carter, the American explosives expert. Commandant Klink's secretary, Helga or Hilda after season 1, was a knowing accomplice in Hogan's efforts to thwart Klink and to aid the Allies. Comedy was derived from the interaction between the conniving Hogan and the clueless Klink as Hogan, in each episode, is able to thwart the Germans in any of their endeavors, even remotely. Helping Hogan were several ingenious devices, a coffee pot that served as a listening device to Klink's office, a bunk bed that rose up to reveal a series of elaborate tunnels that included a radio room and even a barber shop for the prisoners underneath the camp, and several other items. Hogan and his clan were resourceful in their abilities to use anything at hand, including their wits, to fool Klink and Schultz into thinking that nothing was going on. Schultz's constant cries of, I've seen nothing, became a popular catchphrase. Robert Hogan was played with charm by former DJ Bob Crane. Before Hogan's Heroes, Crane had appeared as Dr. Dave Kelsey from 1963 to 65 in a recurring role on The Donna Reed Show. After Hogan's Heroes ended, Crane starred in his own short-lived sitcom in 1974, The Bob Crane Show. He made a few TV guest appearances thereafter before being tragically murdered in Arizona in 1978 at the age of 49. Werner Klemperer, who played Colonel Klink, was the German-born son of one of Germany's best-known conductors, Otto Klemperer, and was himself an accomplished violinist and conductor. He and his family had fled Germany in the 1930s before the Nazis' rise to power. As an actor, perhaps his best-known role before Hogan's Heroes was in the 1961 film Judgment at Nuremberg, where he played Emil Hahn. But it was Hogan's Heroes that made him a star, and he was nominated for an Emmy no less than five times for Outstanding Actor in a Comedy Series for his role as Colonel Klink, and he won the Emmy twice. Throughout his career, he made countless appearances on episodic television, though after Hogan's Heroes, he spent most of his time conducting and playing. His last TV credit was voicing Colonel Klink in a 1993 episode of The Simpsons. He died in 2000 at the age of 80. Viennese actor John Banner played the lovable Sergeant Schultz. Banner was Jewish and also a concentration camp survivor, but he left the camp before the Nazis' policies changed making them into essential death camps. He had small roles in many movies from 1940 onward, usually playing German characters. He played Bovaro in six episodes of the 1954 kids' show Rocky Jones' Space Ranger, as well as countless guest spots on many shows throughout the 50s and 60s. After Hogan's Heroes ended in 1971, he co-starred in a short-lived 1972 sitcom on CBS set in the 1920s called The Chicago Teddy Bears. (laughs) died in Vienna on his 63rd birthday in 1973. Robert Clary played the Frenchman Corporal LeBeau. Clary, also a concentration camp survivor from World War II, was a singer in France after the war. In the 1950s, he became a regular on several game shows. After Hogan's Heroes, he appeared primarily in daytime soap operas, notably in Days of Our Lives and The Bold and the Beautiful. Along with Kenneth Washington, who played Sergeant Baker in the series' final season, Clary, now at age 89, is one of only two cast members from Hogan's Heroes still with us. Richard Dawson, who played Sergeant Newkirk, became even more famous after Hogan's Heroes for hosting the long-running game show Family Feud from 1976 to 1985, for which he was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Game Show Host Seven Times, Winning Once. During and after Hogan's Heroes run, he was also a regular on Rowan and Martin's Laugh in from 1968 to 73.
1: From the School of Animal Husbandry and Marriage Counseling in Beautiful Downtown Burbank.
0: Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In,
1: starring Dan Rowan and Dick Martin.
0: Additionally, he played Richard Richardson in the 1973 to 74 episodes of the New Dick Van Dyke show. regular on the match game from 1973 to 78. His final role was as the outlandish game show host in the 1987 theatrical film The Running Man. He died at age 79 in 2012. Ivan Dixon played Sergeant Kinchlow for the series' first five seasons only. The roles for black actors in the 1950s and 60s were few and far between, and he had to settle for smaller roles. He met and befriended Sidney Poitier, for whom he doubled as a stuntman in the movie The Defiant Ones. His role as Kinch was little better, as there were often episodes in which he didn't even appear. After Hogan's Heroes, Dixon, who had left the series to get into directing, made very few movie or TV appearances, but he did direct nearly 100 movies and TV episodes from 1970 to 1993. He died at age 76 in 2008. Larry Hovis was already a familiar face to TV viewers in the 1960s, even before his role as Sergeant Carter in Hogan's Heroes. His goofy face was perfect for many of the comedic roles he attained, including a semi-regular one as Larry in the first season of Gomer Pyle USMC in 1964.
1: Gomer Pyle USMC Starring Jim Neighbors as Gomer Pyle. Also starring Frank Sutton as Sergeant Carter.
0: After Hogan's Heroes, he joined fellow cast member Richard Dawson as a regular on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In from 1971 to 72. And he died in 2003 at the age of 67. Kenneth Washington played Sergeant Baker after Ivan Dixon left the show in 1970. He had a few guest spot roles on TV comedies and dramas in the 1960s through the 1980s. His last credit to date was as Mercer Gilbert in a 1989 episode of A Different World. With Robert Clary, Washington is one of only two remaining Hogan's Heroes cast members still alive. He is currently 69 years of age. Other recurring cast members for the show included Cynthia Lynn as Helga, Klink's secretary for the first season, Sigrid Valdis as Hilda, Klink's secretary for seasons 2 through 6, and Bob Crane's wife from 1970 until his death in 1978, Leon Askin as the rotund General Burkhalter, Klink's commanding officer, and Howard Kane as the exasperated Gestapo Major Hochstetter. The theme music was composed by TV theme veteran Jerry Fielding. Fielding, born June 17, 1922 and died February 17, 1980 at age 57, Also composed the theme music to other sitcoms of the 1960s and 1970s, most of them lasting only a season or two. Run Buddy Run in 1966. He and She in 1967... (laughs) Good Guys in 1968, The Governor and J.J. in 1969, Chicago Teddy Bears in 1972, Bridget Loves Bernie in 1972. The Little People in 1972. Diana in 1973. We'll now listen to the opening and closing themes to Hogan's Heroes, composed by Jerry Fielding. of the week friday night december 17th 1965 and at 9:30 p.m eastern standard time cbs is running a new episode of their new supernatural sitcom the smothers brothers show and tv guy described the episode like this "Twas the week before christmas tommy wants dick to help him get toys for needy children how thoughtful not to be confused with the singing and comedy duo's later famous variety hour The Smothers Brothers show was a situation comedy from CBS that premiered September 17, 1965 and ended a year later on September 9, 1966. There were 26 black-and-white 30-minute episodes produced, one of the last regular network series to not air in color. The show was a flop from the start, never ranking high enough to crack the top 30. The show's premise was simple enough. Dick Smothers, an up-and-coming businessman at Pandora Publications, is visited by his brother Tom, who's been dead for two years after a drowning accident, and is now an apprentice angel trying to earn his wings. Comedy is derived from the constant bickering of the brothers and from Tom's bumbling when he tries to help his brother and to help others. Besides the Smothers brothers, other members of the cast included Roland Winters as Leonard J. Costello, Dick's boss at Pandora Publishing, Harriet McGibbon as Mrs. Costello, his wife, and Anne Elder as Janet. The real-life duo of Tom and Dick Smothers had perfected their comedy and singing act in the late 1950s and early 1960s in countless live performances on TV Variety Hour guest spots and on comedy records long before this series was commissioned from them. It was an inauspicious entry for the brothers into television, especially given the enormous popularity and controversy of their later Variety Hour, the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, which began in 1967 and was abruptly canceled by CBS in 1969 for the show's left-leaning bend. The duo went on to revive their variety show on ABC in the summer of 1970, on NBC in 1975, and again in 1988, this time back on CBS. Each reincarnation failed to be noticed, and each one lasted less than five months. Tom Smothers, born in 1937 and now 78, and Dick Smothers, born in 1939 and now 76, continue occasional live appearances and appearances on television to this day. The theme music and lyrics for the Smothers Brothers show were composed by Alfred Perry and Perry Botkin, Jr. The opening theme was performed by the Smothers Brothers themselves and the closing titles included only an instrumental version of the theme. Alfred Perry, born September 1, 1930 and died March 18, 1992 at age 81, was a German-born composer with many credits to his name, including the theme to The Gertrude Berg Show in 1961. Perry Botkin Jr., born April 16, 1933, and still alive today at age 82, wrote the lyrics to the theme to the 1973 sitcom Adam's Rib, and he also wrote the theme music to Quark in 1977. Mork and Mindy in 1978. nominated for both an Oscar for Best Original Song and for a Grammy for Best Original Movie Score, both in 1972, for his music and title song in the 1971 movie Bless the Beasts and the Children. Now we'll listen to the opening theme music by Alfred Perry and Perry Botkin, Jr., and performed by the Smothers Brothers.
2: Tonight you'll meet two brothers who just happen to be us. Though Tom is slightly different, a problem we will now discuss. My brother Tom was lost at sea without his water wings. And now he is an angel and he tries to do amazing things. That's right, brother Dick, it's no trick if you see lots of different faces that look a lot like me. <laughs> an angel on a visit to his brother here below can talk a lot of trouble there's miracles to start but they always come apart on the smothers brother show there's miracles to start but they always come apart on the smothers brother
0: show well that's it for episode three of tube tunes i hope you enjoyed it it was a lot of fun and i hope you'll join me on a future episode of tube tunes The next episode will be entitled From Checkmate to Spielberg and we'll explore the TV themes of probably one of the most prolific and celebrated music composers of all time, John Williams. I would like to thank Zerbinator for his guidance and encouragement as I continue on this project. His podcasting expertise is incredibly valuable to me and I would urge all of my intrepid listeners to give any of his many podcasts a listen. They're a lot of fun. Just go to zerbinator.wordpress.com to find a list of his podcasts and to get started listening. Also, I can't forget to thank Zerbinator for composing the theme music that's heard at the beginning and end of Tube Tunes. It's a great theme, and you can find all of his other great music at Zerbitron.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Burford. I would also like to thank my beautiful wife Lizzie. She has put up with me and this strange podcasting theme with the patience of a saint, and I could never fully repay her, but I will try. Thanks and credit should also be given to the free music archive and the song and artist used in this episode under the Creative Commons license, Weeble, by Poddington Bear.
1: Episodes of TubeTunes can be found on iTunes and on Stitcher or through the TubeTunes blog page at tubetunespodcast.blogspot.com. TubeTunes can also be found on Facebook at facebook.com tubetunes. You can follow TubeTunes on Twitter at tubetunespod. And be sure to check out the TubeTunes website at tubetunes.net. Finally, you can send Mark an email and let him know what you think about any episodes of TubeTunes. Just write to him, mark at tubetunes.net. Thank you.
0: Support for Tube Tunes is made possible by a grant from the Telesearch Group, and by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you.
1: This is station WABC-TV New York, Channel 7. Two, now speaking for the entire staff. Two, we're number good number I am from
2: wnbc tv CBS-TV in New York. Good morning.